going in it. Tonight's show is a special and it is all on the topic of adoption. Yes, adoption. Right, you might be thinking, where has this come from? Why are we talking about this on a Tuesday evening? Oh, I just wanted to share with you that I'm reaching that age, right? I'm 27, turning 28 in just a couple of weeks, Leo season and all of that. And my friends are fully getting into baby mode. Baby fever is amongst the friendship group and it is hit us hard. It is hit us hard. People are you know, planning to have children, talking to their partners, getting pregnant, having babies, baby showers, christenings, birthday parties and the rest of it. And of course, I love children. So this is like music to my ears. But it's something that comes up time and time again of what is your route to becoming a parent if that's what you want of course you can have you can conceive there's natural birth there's IVF and then I kind of I'm always asking the questions what about fostering and what about adoption and I realize I don't really have these conversations that often whether it's with my friends or my colleagues or my peers it's more something that comes up I guess with partners or like potential partners and I'm always like have you thought about adoption and I think from a guy's perspective it's not always at the forefront of their minds but as a woman I'm like no I need to get things done I've got a career to think about I've got children to think about and it's a lot so it was a bit of a personal mission of yeah I just want to find out more and what's going on and then also on a thing of I do think we should talk about it more. I do think we should share these stories more and put them to the forefront of what people are talking about. And you'll find as well with tonight's show, a few of our contributors we found through TikTok, which is just so amazing for discovering, you know, little elements of people's lives that I think we never would have heard about before. So you'll be hearing from Mia and Jordan, who are both based in the US, as well as I've got callers um, from the UK, Joy and Dee Dee and Priscilla and like so many voices on this topic. So if you want to have your say, maybe you've got a personal um, story relating to adoption. Maybe you've been looking into it or you're adopted yourself. But of course, drop me a line, drop me a tweet at this is Westside, Or you can slide into my DMs on Instagram. I'm always there like all week um, chatting about different topics for the show. So that's at Mary.Manderfield. But let me not keep you for too long and let me jump in to our first callers of the night. Like I said, some people are adoptive parents and that is the case for our next guest our first guest on tonight's show of bringing it black let's go bringing it Didi and Priscilla Akutu Carter. Um, you two are a beautiful couple um, and you are the parents to Ava, who you adopted in 2014, if I'm not wrong. And I wanted to get you on the show tonight. Just an amazing example of a black couple, two women, um, and you seem to have a really happy and wonderful kind of family life. Um, and I just wanted to hear all about it from the adoption process to what it's like raising a young daughter. Um, um, and everything in between. So welcome to Bringing It Black. Thank you Thank very you. much, Mary. We're really glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Let's start, I guess, at the beginning um, of before adoption was 
something you both were kind of thinking about or something that was in the in the picture but your relationship am I right in thinking you met online um kind of online dating we did we met online back in 2005 before online dating was really a thing so how we met was yeah. for a number of years afterwards was kind of oh we met via a mutual friend now feel absolutely no way saying random then but 2005 <laughs> dating online was for kind of weirdos so um it's not something we necessarily mentioned but now pretty conventional yeah 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 it is it's yeah, completely changed it? it was a lot more like websites yeah. rather than apps wasn't it very much so. yeah and just that just feels a bit it was a bit random at the time people a bit like we met online that's odd whereas now it's kind of standard pretty normal really to meet on apps and stuff and all sorts so, yeah yeah I love it. And so you were together, you had a civil partnership. And I guess just as a lot of couples do, was the conversation kind of around having children and bringing children into your relationship? Um, yeah, we, I mean, we, we, we had conversations like, I mean, not as soon as we met, but you know, a few years on kind of um, about children. I think we both had different views on children, how we wanted to have children. We both had like quite interesting adoption, interesting enough, um, separately. Um, and then when we got together, we wanted to, you know, we took a deeper look into it. We also looked at also, you know, insemination and being that two women and two women. So, you know, it's definitely an option we looked at as well. But um, before we had a partnership, we spent maybe about two years just looking into different ways of having children. We went to what was called at the time the Alternative Family Show, which I think now is called the Modern Family Show, which essentially is for, I guess, the LGBT community. Um, gives them, different ways of having children with you, you know, it could also be fostering as well, um, special guardianship. They also like the seminars on insemination, IUI and um, IVF, um, surrogacy and adoption and other various options. So we went, we went to a seminar for IUI with the London Women's Clinic and we also went to um, seminars on adoption. And actually sitting in the, um, the reason we kind of like really landed at adoption, um, I think when we sat in the seminar for the IUI, we just found it quite a clinical personal process and very expensive process with no guaranteed outcome. And really what we were there for was to have a child. Um, so, what we, but then, you know, we kind of put that on pause. We just held that. We just kind of talked about it and thought, okay, well, we'll just go to adoption, see what happens then, and then make a choice. And went into the adoption seminar and actually felt really a lot more emotionally connected to the process Um some of the, the lives that some of these children have before they come to be adopted and just various things that are very, very different to our life. So I think we felt, I mean, probably a bit of altruism as well, but we kind of felt that we had a lot of love to give and completely give a child a really good, loving home. So adoption in terms of emotional connection felt much better and that's why we went down that route. In an adoption seminar, what does that kind of entail? Are they telling you about kind of individual stories or like case studies or what do you kind of hear in an adoption seminar so when we went to this specific seminar they gave us a bit of an overview of the process so the process that you as an individual or, or a couple would need to go through they kept it relatively high level sort of the steps so going through the process of being assessed then going on to the process of being matched um, and also you did have some profiles of children who were, were sort of shown and shared to give you a bit of an example yeah, yeah. ages and ranges but equally, they also had a couple of adopters who were kind of had, been, had adopted their children some years back and were able to provide a bit of a unique perspective. For us, it was information gathering, but also, as Didi mentioned, that connection with the story and the concept of adoption was what really swung it for us. Mm. There was one point where one of the um, speakers mentioned that, and this often is the case in adoption, that we have 
there are kind of generational cycles and there are cycles that occur within the lives of an adoptive child. So their grandparents may have been known to the care system, their parents may have been known to the care system. And one of the things that he mentioned that always resonated and still does is with adoption, you have the opportunity to break that generational cycle. So that could have been something which is going along in that child's life generationally. However, with adoption, you change that path. Uh, and I think we've both got, almost like did you mention that kind of altruistic nature that we both have and that kind of um, sort of a, a strong sense of social justice. The other thing is also black adopters, there's not enough. There, no. there quite simply is not enough coming forward. And it certainly doesn't meet the demands of the care system and the children that are coming out of the care system. Mm. There are black, minority ethnic and, um, and dual heritage, transracial children, especially transracial children, that's particularly hard for people, to, for, for the care system to place. So there are longer or more numbers of those children. And for us, we felt if our goal is to have a child and also resonating with that message of breaking the generational cycle mm -hmm. and layered on top of that, the limited number of black adopters, it felt like an obvious choice. Yeah. I can definitely see how there's so many different parts of it were kind of adding up to make sense for you two as a couple. And that's something that I kind of have found a lot when I've been digging into this is that there just doesn't seem to be enough black adopters to, like you said, to meet the demand. When we talk about that, is is that something that is said to you quite explicitly about matching children with parents who match their heritage? Or is it so that they look more like the parents? What's the kind of reasoning behind it, I guess, to add up those numbers? I mean, I do. I mean, we, we you know, we, when we discussed children with our social work and go through the process, it was a question of, because of the kind of types of children within the care system, we said mixed race or black. But really, ideally, like, what they try to try to do is obviously try and match that child as close as possible to their, I guess, their ethnic background as much as possible. And that's because of things like um, history and culture and things like that as well. And also faith could be a part of that as well. So that's generally what they try and do. They try and keep as close because as much as we, whether we like it or not, there's a lot of culture that comes with, you know, I'm, I'm from, for example, I'm from Nigeria, so I'm from St. Lucia. We have a lot of culture that we bring with ourselves and we, it's all we make a melting pot. And I think that they try to do that as much as possible where they can. But with the, the number of, I mean, we, I don't know if we've met many, in the matter of years we've had at Ava, we haven't really met that many adopters and not many LGBT black adopters as well. I think we feel like we're the only ones. But it, because there's the amount of transracial, mixed race black children in care, they are having to place it with, um, place them with sometimes with, um, families who are not of their ethnic background, for example, um, but try and get as close to someone who is able to give them access to make connections. That was Dee Dee and Priscilla there. They are adoptive parents to Ava and they're an LGBT couple, same-sex couple. And just hearing a little bit from them about their motivations to adopt and that first little bit of the process, right? This is just part one of our, our chat. They spoke about going along to an adoption seminar, which I didn't even realise was a thing. Um, seeing different children's profiles and that process of being matched up to a profile. And I think the one thing that really stuck out for me there was that they were told that a lot of the time being in the care system and um, being in foster care or being adopted often runs in generations and that if you go ahead and adopt a child then you kind of are given the opportunity to break that generational cycle and that's something that motivated the both of them. Ah, 
tonight's show is all about one topic in particular, something that I was really keen and really excited to talk about, adoption. That is the theme, that is the agenda for tonight. And we we just had a part one of our chat with Didi and Priscilla. They are adoptive parents, they have a daughter. And something we talked about is that actually in black communities, these children go the longest to find a family. So that's what national statistics actually reveal. Black and mixed heritage children are waiting for the longest time on the waiting list for a family. And that's something that a lot of organisations are doing more to raise awareness about and just highlighting some of those attributes that you need to adopt a child. So it's not always about having the biggest house on the street or having the most bedrooms, but some of those key components are a stable home and you know the love that you have to give and um, whether that's as a single person as a couple whether you already have children or you don't and um, but there's a lot that kind of goes into it and maybe a lot that we don't know about so that's definitely something that I wanted to find more about the actual process is it long is it hard is it as complicated as a lot of people kind of make out um so yeah, that's what we're going to hear from Didi and Priscilla next. Westside. So you kind of took those steps um, that you decided this was the route that you wanted to go. And then what happened next? Because if you haven't done it before, if you don't know someone who's done it, I think a lot of the time all we hear is that it's a really long process. It's really difficult. You know, you have to constantly jump through hoops. Um, but I think I read, maybe it was in an article um, that you contributed to that, it wasn't quite like that for, for you two as a couple. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, once we decided on adoption, we did, we did spend time visiting a few different local authorities and policy adoption agencies to kind of understand the process a bit better and really get into the bones of it. But I mean, the process is long, yes, um, but then everyone's process is a bit different depending on what comes up in your background or whatever kind of, whatever kind of like hoops you may need to jump through. It's not necessarily that they make them difficult, it's just that, something may come to your back and they want to come dig a bit further and that would just mean that you then have a longer process to kind of go through that's all really but the, the, the kind of, I guess the means of that process to kind of really kind of understand who you are as individuals and how you who you are as a couple and then try to understand what kind of home or you know you're, you're planning to give this child or what kind of life you have as a couple let alone as a family to give this child um why are you looking into adoption um those kind of things really um and i think that is i mean real real talk it is a long process in the sense that, and I think one of the reservations and certainly conversations that we've had with sort of black friends of ours have kind of said, oh, well, because they are going to ask you about your health. They're going to ask you about your financial status. They're going to ask you about the way that you live your life. But you need to look at the reasons behind the reasons why they're asking that question. And the intention isn't for you to pass pass the test or for you to be earning a certain amount or for you to be of a certain socioeconomic it, that's not the idea. The idea is for social workers to build a very good picture of what your life is like. And certainly Didi said this in other discussions as well. The goal is for you to have a child, mm. which safety, checks, balances, due diligence is absolutely essential in this nature because you're taking a child who in some cases, not all cases, has come from a detrimental environment and needs to be placed in the best environment and, and provided with the best care. Is it intrusive? Is to, to an extent, yes. Is it confidential? Yes. But also, is it in the 
it's moving towards the direction the goal has been placed with a child and being a family. So therefore, the level of intrusiveness probably meets the needs of the process in and of itself. Yeah. So. If they're going to hand you, you know, a life to look after for the rest of your life, it's your child. Then you want to make. If I was had that, for, if you look at it, as, for example, as a government being a parent and they're handing over your child to someone, they want to make sure that you are literally the best person for that job. And part of it also is so they can match your personality of your family with the right child. Mm. If they don't ask the various questions about how you became who you are and how you got to where you are and why you studied versus not studied versus why you work in this job versus all those different things, it's a kind of like a, to build a picture. So the child that they eventually match you with matches personality-wise with your family. Like we enjoy traveling, for example, and doing some random kind of travel like off the beaten track. It would not be great if we had a child who wasn't really open to socialisation, like being quite a social child, which we have a very social child, so she kind of works with, and she loves travelling, so it kind of works. They didn't need to work for a reason, so, yeah. And then, so how does that look when they kind of built a picture of the both of you and they can understand, you know, what kind of parents you, you're ready to be? How on earth do they then go about, like, finding or matching you up with a child? To, to me, that's like, I don't understand the logistics or I don't understand like where that even starts and I are they looking at unborn children who maybe the, the mother's pregnant and they're, yes. they're, they're they're preparing for that or do you give them a certain age range or yeah what's that that match look like so in terms of the process there's sort of two main stages to the adoption process one being um assessment which is where they go through some of the details that Didi was mentioning but also at the same time, you're also, they're also taking, you know, not, you're, I want to use the word your requirements, it's not as crude as that, but what type of child are you looking to be matched with? And through that discussion, and that's a, that's a kind of an ongoing discussion with you and your social, you sort of start off with, I think I can cope with, and then you'll work with your social worker to see if you can move on those parameters. The second stage then is matching, and before you get, the, it, it's almost a finish to start process, although with new government guidelines and bringing in the adoption timeline, those two timelines slightly overlap, the process of assessment, nine and then there is, now. yeah, it's a much shorter it's like process. nine months, like a pregnancy, so it's nine months about, yeah. So it's a much shorter process, but also there is the overlap of those two sides. First step being assessment, the second step being matching, there is a national database of profiles of children which social workers have access to across the country and that's almost like their repository that they can sort of go to and and, and almost like assess as to whether any of the the, the 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 type of children that you believe you can work with are on their database equally if you're going via a local authority the local authority have children who are named to them and if you are signed up with that local authority um it's almost they share the profiles of their children with our uh, and our profiles with those yeah. yeah that makes sense so you've got to the stage where you were matched with Ava and she was about one years old at the time what did that uh, look like or or how was that when she finally kind of came home with you and you know unlike I guess conceiving a child and being pregnant with a child you have all those months of build up and people asking you loads of questions and coming around with gifts and things like that was there things that you kind of had to put in place or to mark that occasion to to I guess not to make it clear to others around you but to really like mark that point in your life does that make sense if we go back a, a, a bit just a bit, bit of, to give a bit of context um when um 
I think our profile shared when we matched with Ava. I've had a, there's, there's a number of different meetings that happened between that and health visits and blah, 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 blah. But once we got to matching matching panel, but what we do is that there's videos. You, you, you create a video of yourself um, so the baby or the child can watch you. They can watch your mannerisms. They can hear your voice. You do things like um, you buy a toy and you sleep with it in your bed so then it kind of carries your smell and that's handed to the child and it's put in that child's cot. Um, they print pictures, A4 pictures of your your face, put it in the child's cot, they put it on kind of, um, what is it, this in the foster carer's house, um, kind of level with the child's height. So like, if it was looking up, she would have seen our faces glassed everywhere. So when we actually first went to meet her, she was sleeping and kind of turned around and looked at us and, was just like, and then smiled because in a child's sense, I guess, she feels like she knows you because she's seen your face so much. And if you pick her up, she feels like she smelled you because of the toys. And as we went to Build-A-Bear, to which you can put your voice inside the bear and then she can press it and she can hear your voices and saying her name. So it gets, it allows her to kind of build a bit of a picture up and get used to kind of seeing these faces who initially would have been strangers before. I think she had maybe a week or two weeks just seeing our faces, isn't it? Um, and then the day we met her, um, which was which was lovely, that we met her just directly right after the panel. And I guess bringing her home was a bit on you. We, we spent 10 days visiting her before we actually brought her home. Um, and I think the first thing we brought home was, I don't know, it, it, it felt like I was taking someone's child from the foster care because it's, although we've gone and done visits with her and taken her out for a day or taken her out for an afternoon or did an overnight with her, I think then having her full time kind of felt, I don't know, it felt quite um, unusual because it just felt, because of the, the, the birthing part hadn't happened. <laughs> Great to hear from both Didi and Priscilla there. And you can follow them on Instagram as well if you want to see more of their journey, you want to see more of what they're up to and, yeah, just life as adoptive um, parents and as family, then you can find them at that underscore a dot c underscore life. That AC life, Akuta Carter, is their surnames there. I've got part three of that chat coming up as well as some voices from the US as well, bringing in their different um, experiences as well with adoptive to the show so don't go anywhere you're listening to bringing it black here on my side bringing it black this is the show where we share celebrate reflect and collaborate with people in the black community sharing your stories and talking about the things that are important and today's show is exactly that it's all about adoption now this is quite timely in the past couple of years there has been a real focus on adoption especially here in the uk and actually how are we supporting the children who are experiencing this as well as the parents as well and in july last year the UK government actually launched a 48 million pound national adoption strategy and the whole point of that was to improve adoption services and to help place more children with families in England that is always the aim is placing children with a stable family so that they aren't continuously going around um, in the care system now, with that, they found that there was about 3,000 children that were waiting to be adopted. And out of that number, 8% of them were black. This is quite a huge number when you think about actually how they're 
disproportionately overrepresented. So there are more black children in care than there are black people ready to adopt um, because only 2.7% of the people that were approved to be adopters in 2018-2019 were black. So you have a lot of people doing things online to try and change that. You have a lot of people speaking up about, you know, just giving advice or giving different tips um, about how they maybe they can get involved um, with adoption. I know for a lot of people they think, okay, maybe this is an option if you're infertile or maybe this is an option if you've tried you know to have to conceive a child and it's not happened but I think from speaking with Didi and Priscilla who we're going to hear more from next they were kind of saying that for them it felt like it was a it was a first choice once they heard more about it and once they learnt more about the process um, and what they could be a part of they were happy for that to kind of be a first choice. Now, before we hear the last part of our conversation, I want to introduce you um, to a really lovely lady called Mia. And Mia was adopted from Haiti when she was three. And she shares a lot, not just about her own personal story, but around a lot of the kind of parts that we might not always hear about, in particular, um, adoption trauma. So we've got some clips from her which I'll be playing throughout the show but I just want to start off with a little introduction she loves to share what she does on TikTok and that's where we found her so I asked her you know what's this whole like TikTok adoption narrative work you know sometimes you go on to a bit of TikTok and you realise I didn't know anything about this I, that wasn't on my feed at all um, but once you start engaging with it more you get more and more and more of it so um, yeah this is Mia that all hopeful adoptive parents absolutely need to be trauma-informed. The American Academy of Pediatrics states to assume all foster and adopted children have trauma. That does not mean we are all traumatized or have severe trauma responses because we all cope differently, um, but, you know, some better than others, but there's no way to know which child will be okay after losing their entire family for whatever reason, and you can never be too prepared. It makes more sense to educate yourself on pre-verbal and childhood trauma and different trauma responses and be somewhat prepared than to hope you get an easy kid and not know what to do. This is actually one of the main reasons adopted children get rehomed or the adopted child, you know, cuts contact with their adoptive family because people are not prepared for us and it honestly is worse for us. Bringing it I first got introduced to Adoption TikTok about a year and a half ago. Some birth mothers showed up on my FYP and they were sharing their stories of coercion. My birth mother was also coerced because she was young and poor. I'm from Haiti and growing up I thought that was just a quote unquote third world problem. Then I saw a bunch of domestic adoptees from the United States who also had similar stories and I felt less alone and empowered enough to share my own story. So there you go, a little bit about adoption TikTok. And I think it just goes to show that, you know, you can find your community, whatever your community is, you can find it on TikTok. I promise you that. So that's a Mia, that was Mia um, from Haiti, adopted when she was three. And we're going to hear a little bit more from her. But I definitely recommend checking out her TikTok page if you're interested. It is Mia Taicha, so M-I-A and then T H. 
A-I-C-H-A, Mia Tai Cha. And I'll share that again before the end of the show. Um, she's got so much advice on there and she does so much. She talks about trafficking. She talks about um, abortion. She talks about her birth family and so, so, so much more um, that I think she's just such an interesting person to follow and, um, and, and see what she is all about. Right, let's jump on to my final part of my conversation with Didi and Priscilla. And I wanted to know a little bit about advocating um, within adoption. What are we actually saying to our, our leaders, our prime minister, our government? What are we actually saying to them about how this whole system works is it good enough does it serve both the parents and the children involved and is it fit for purpose is it something that you kind of consciously then wanted to kind of talk about and be open about adoption um online you know you talk about it on instagram and you know you've featured in campaigns and you know articles like refinery 29 is that something that you you consciously kind of wanted to do or it just happened naturally i think it's something that really came organically because for us um it's 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 a cliche term but we aren't we want to be the change that you know want to be the change that we want to see so for us we 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 are very you know it's not necessarily limited to the lgbt community at all it's looking at the black community it's looking at the broader minority ethnic community in, adoption is something which we, we, we strongly do advocate for. That wasn't the intention at the start, but certainly as we have kind of gone along and what we found is that that support network is absolutely vital, that support network of friends. And that could be, and I think you have people with varying levels of understanding. We've got friends who have adopted further along in the process than us and certainly were when we first um, had, uh, you know, first adopted Ava. And that was so crucial to be able to have those people to see, to talk to, and similarly, I guess in, in any sphere, it's always encouraging to see people who've gone before. So, I mean, we're pretty ordinary people, really, but we extraordinary in the sense that our family makeup is uncommon. So therefore, what we wanted to do is almost act as positive role models to show that, yes, there are black people who were adopt, or adopters, and you have LGBT black people who are adopters. And actually, our life is pretty much the same as everybody else's. We've got birthday parties, tests to prepare for, play dates to, you know, a, a full stack of events this summer. It's exactly the same. And, and our intention, as every as most sort of parents are, is we absolutely want the best for our child. Like we just want her to excel and thrive, and and that features in every aspect of how we parent her. We don't get it right all the time. But we are keen to learn. And I think that common aspect is common amongst kind of all parents. It just so happens that our route to parenthood is different. Yeah, I think I read as well that you said, like, you can't believe that Ava didn't come from both of you because she's so similar to you. Like, you you all seem really, like, bubbly and charismatic. And I know she loves, like, performing arts and singing and dancing and, and all of that. Um, what's your kind of favourite parts of maybe like stepping back and just like watching the madness unfold? That's what my parents had to deal with. Me and my sister were like always making a racket and performing throughout our house. <laughs> there are so many. So There's so many favourite parts. I think I'd probably look at it on three levels. Like I'd probably say I get, I enjoy looking at Ava and she is confident and mm. I love it when she comes out with something 
so assertive and so confident and this is what I'm going to do and kind of really stands yeah. in the knowledge of who she is and that's because she understands it at her age of course um, and we really I just enjoy that because I I always as a parent it's always good to check in with other parents and to sort of see you know these messages every parent talks a lot but it makes it clear okay some of these messages are actually landing and that's mm. that's really lovely um, and then I also look at what it's done for me as an individual. I think parenthood brings in a level of organisation into your life that you never would have thought true. Um, but equally, I think there are also lessons that I think as you're teaching her lessons, we've talked about value, we're talking about value, self-worth, self-esteem, confidence, those kind of things. That's also a lesson for me personally. And then the third layer is us as a family. And I sort of step back and look at the three of us. And actually... Um, just very normal it's been really hot these past few days we just decided sprinkler on let's just let's just run wild in the garden (laughs) and it was just lovely to kind of think that I think I had a moment of reflection the other day where I kind of thought at one point at some point in life all three of us were strangers to each other Mm. but now we're all so familiar it's it was yeah it was a very random reflection but but yeah there's so much there's so much good so much more good than there have been negatives yeah I love that um and I just wanted to end on maybe you know we spoke about some of those barriers not not necessarily barriers but we spoke about maybe some of the reasons that might come up that behind the reason that there aren't enough black adopters out there and I've kind of read online that sometimes you know it's just cultural it's not you know the standard things if you haven't seen it happen in your family or your community then you're not likely to follow those steps but also things come up like a lack of trust and authority or that feeling that maybe you won't won't be accepted or you won't be pushed forward in the queue. Um, is there kind of any misconceptions that you kind of just want to put right or anything that has come up in your journey, maybe other people have questioned you on that you can be like, actually, it's not like that? I think from a cultural perspective, we talk about, I think we've been doing adoption actually from a cultural perspective with that community for a very, very long time. I'd say we've been doing, we've been doing it for a long we just haven't called it adoption. You know, there have been a number of children um, in various families who have been brought up by aunts and uncles, brought up by grandparents, brought up by cousins, brought up by big sisters, older brothers. Um, there could be, you know, it could be a friend's child who you just had to bring into your household for various reasons. Um, and that is essentially what adoption is. It's taking a child within the community who doesn't have a home and giving them a home. And... I think we've been doing it for a very long, long time. I don't think because we haven't, because we didn't really place a name on what we were doing as a community, which was taking care of our own, that term is adoption. We've made it something else. I think also to remember, if you are going through the process, they literally, they do actually want you to adopt. They're not trying to work against you. They want to work with you. They understand, probably more so now, I'd say, perhaps from um, black faith, all those various different intersections we may have especially within London and other cities, I'd say, they, they do understand now that they are, there are layers to address or there are layers that we need to work with. But they do want you to be able to adopt. They want these children to have homes. They want you to be able to give... And especially if you're a great couple, they want you to be able to adopt and give these children great homes. So I think sometimes if you do... Um, I'm not, not, that's, not, that's not to say that we... No, we I think our first agency we went to, we didn't have a great experience, but I didn't turn us off. We went to look for the best... We went to look for the right agency that's going to work with us so you may have a knockback but it doesn't mean not to stop there are actually agencies out there who are really looking for black mixed asian um couples families that they can work with to adopt children so 
And I think probably the second with it. Sorry, sorry the second point I was going to expand on was just what you mentioned there, Mary, because I think one of them is people being concerned. One of the areas and questions we've had is around people being concerned about barriers to barriers to entry. Am I going to be accepted? Mm. I think the other layer around that is um, around the intrusion and the mistrust, and that's that's understandable. Yeah, I think society society and as a community, that level of distrust is is, is really understandable. Uh, and given that some people would see it as intrusion where, you know, you've been asked for financial information, you may be asked about past partners because they want to build up this history. I can I can see and I can understand and, and the black people we've spoken to in the past, friends of ours, have said that feels uncomfortable. It, it does. It, 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 and I can understand. I can understand why people hold on to those reservations. But I think the absolute key thing is just really being goal focused if your aim is to adopt a child to be placed have this child placed within your family whatever the, your rationale is those far outweigh the risks that you might be fearing and as Didi mentioned I think the community have moved on quite significantly in that social workers are now taking much more active steps to inform themselves on various protected characteristics and are probably a bit more clued up than you think. Mm. Whenever we attended any of the open day events with local authorities, voluntary agencies, etc., people were running up to us yeah. and really were quite keen, sort of giving us leaflets. And they were very, very keen to hear from us. And the real, the sort of over, over, overarching message really was, we just don't get enough of them. Yeah. So they're willing. Yeah. If you're willing. Yeah. Trust the process. Yeah, and uh, you've mentioned it a few times, but they, you kind of they have the same interest in pairing you up with someone as much as you're, you're there for that process as well. And Didi, I think I've not thought about it at all, what you said on it has been happening for generations and even watching, I don't know if you saw the Mo Farah documentary, but he was kind of immediately placed with, you know, his friend's mum who kind of took him in and they were from the same country and same culture and it just kind of happened um, in a way that, yeah, happens all around the world. Um, but just because it hasn't got that big stamp and that big name on it always as adoption and um, we don't always see it like that so yeah I'm really glad you mentioned that and I'm so grateful I feel like I've learned loads um, and I think you two are are great for you know this word representation gets thrown around but like you said you can't be um, well you can't be what you can't see but also be that change and be those people to go and and, and do the thing that you think is right and I think just creating a, an amazing family as well. Westside loved 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 having those two on the show our first um guests and callers on tonight's show of bringing it black which is all about adoption this is what we're doing diving into it and hearing different people's stories experiences and learning a little bit along the way there we mentioned um mo farah and guys if you've not seen that documentary on bbc iplayer please 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 go and watch it 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 absolutely stunned me um, and shocked me, but I think it's it's well worth a watch. And the point that we were kind of talking about was that adoption often is really formalised by this process and by this name, but particularly in black communities, adoption is very normal and very natural, whether someone's child is taken in by a family member or if someone's struggling with resources or money, then, you know, they're often really looked after. And I know a lot of my friends' parents had that experience in the Caribbean. And even my um, colleague at work, Alpha, I hope he's listening, shout out to Alpha, but he um, kind of fled a war and was in Germany for treatment after he was shot by a stray bullet and ended up being adopted by his uncle. And, you know, it's one of those things that you think, oh, well, 
you know, family members taking another child in can feel completely normal in, in your kind of culture and in your setup. But we often dismiss it as as adoption, which is obviously what it is. And that could play a really good part in encouraging more people to black people to adopt if they realise it has been happening um, in their family for generations anyway. But maybe now it's a bit more of a formalised process, depending how you go about it. Bringing it Hey, hey, people, how are you doing? I hope your Tuesday evening is going well. Let me know what you're up to or where you're listening in from. We're on the socials at This Is Westside or slide into my DMs on Insta at mary.mandfield. You know that's where. You can always find me. I'm always talking some kind of nonsense. But hey, hopefully tonight's chat is making a lot more sense than what I'm normally rambling on about outside of this show. And uh, we're talking all things adoption here in the UK and in the US as well. Hey, Maybe next time we'll reach even further afield. I'll be out in Australia or in the Middle East or, or, you know, we'll be chatting to all kinds of people. But I'm really enjoying hearing the different perspectives so far. We started off with Didi and Priscilla and in a few minutes we'll be hearing from Joy Carter. Her story is incredible and she's now actually a comedian, an actor and um, kind of a speaker and a campaigner as well for social justice issues. So she has got a lot to say and she says it very, very well. But we've been hearing little snippets from Mia and she is on um, TikTok talking about not just her adoption story, but more into the foster system, youth work, trauma, matching families, growing up as an adoptee and so, so, so much more. And I asked her what's helped her deal with some of the trauma that she's experienced in her journey. I think things that have helped me with my adoption trauma were having like an adoption trauma informed therapist. She was actually the first person to tell me that adoption is trauma. And then finally I got into TikTok and got an, an adoptee support group and just a bunch of people who felt the same way as me and it made me feel less alone. And um, I finally found my voice and just knowing that sharing my story has already helped so many adoptees brings me so much hope that there will be less children who feel like I did my entire life. Tonight's show is all around adoption, hearing from adoptees, adoptive parents, and I just thought I'd shed some light on some people who you might not realise were or are adopted themselves. Now, interestingly, we were speaking about him extensively on last week's show because it was all about Nelson Mandela. As we celebrated Nelson Mandela International Day and I played like some South African artists that I was loving and had my friend Dick Lady on the show, it was honestly just great vibes all round and learned a lot more about Nelson Mandela as well. But the politician, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, the first black president of South Africa, he was adopted himself. He was raised by a tribe chief and his wife uh, from the age of nine after his biological father passed away. And even when we did the show last week, I honestly didn't even know that. Now, someone who I grew up watching a lot of on TV was Nicole Ritchie. Her and Paris Hilton had a great show called The Simple Life. And if you've never seen it, then 
all I can do is urge you to go and watch clips on YouTube because that show was unhinged, it was chaotic and it was absolutely ridiculous but great entertainment. And so Nicole, who was almost like Paris's sidekick in the show, she is adopted by Lionel Richie, of course, dancing on the ceiling. Uh, that guy. And... Um, Lionel's wife at the time, Brenda, when she was nine years old and her um, biological parents, I think, were friends with Lionel and his wife at the time. And when she was three, her parents agreed to let her move in with Lionel and Brenda as they weren't able to look after her and financially um, provide for her. About being adopted, Nicole has actually said that my parents were friends of Lionel. They trusted that they would be able to better provide for me. So that's someone who's really in the spotlight there in the public eye and, um, yeah, was adopted herself. And lastly, again, didn't know this at all until I started putting the show together, was Jamie Foxx, Oscar winner, singer, actor, all-round funny guy, a very successful man and he was adopted by his maternal grandmother when he was seven months old. So it's that thing of, you know, a lot of the time it happens within families or maybe sometimes we don't even realise or it's not really talked about but that's exactly why we're shining a light on it today. Now speaking of actors and comedians, it's a very good segue onto our next guest. She is called Joy Carter and her energy is infectious. She was great, great, great to talk to you and her story is not just unique but very interesting, very important, and I'm so glad uh, that we had her join us on Bringing It Black. Bringing It Black. Thanks for having me, because adoption is one of those difficult issues that people don't always know how to speak about, how to voice their concerns with, or how to really start that adoption journey if they're a parent or if you, or if you are an adoptee hmm. it's it's often challenging to even talk about it and feel at peace or feel understood yeah completely and I think it is one of those things that it's almost like if it doesn't need to come up in conversation it just doesn't but then it means that it's just never really talked about and I guess from your perspective as an adoptee maybe that's that can be quite frustrating um, and something you said you know it took you a while to kind of find your voice and really speak about you've been through a lot um, I kind of know your story but for the people listening can you sum it up I know it must be really difficult but kind of just tell your story from the from the beginning um, and how you became to kind of speak more openly about adoption yes um, I was born into the Biafran war in in, in the 1970s in Nigeria and I was found next to my dead twin out there and just taken to a local um, hospital. Mm. And a couple of years before then, by chance, the people who went on to adopt me had met, fallen in love, were working out there. They went to the hospital to offer some support and they handed them a baby out of 50 other children and said, please look after this child. So they weren't, um, they weren't looking to adopt, they just wanted to know how they could, yeah. they could support uh, yeah. with, what's, with everything that was going on. Yeah, and that, and I very and that's when I always say to people, you can look at thousands of children, mm. but sometimes you just you, you can look at one child and you just know that child is meant to be part of your life. So my parents never set out to adopt, but they sort of fell into it by chance, um, and then they thought they wanted to adopt me. And then over over two years, the war, the war got worse. They eventually were evacu- evacuated back to the UK. We went to live in Leicester, where I was really happy. But then the challenges for me really started when we moved up to 
um, not, um, Lincolnshire yeah. because my parents are white and my, my brothers are white and so I was the only black child in a white family. Moving into a Lincoln town, um, there was a lot of discrimination, I suffered a lot of bullying and racism um, and then lots of other difficult challenges happened um, and it wasn't really until I was 30 I felt I could even speak about my adoption because it was so, the whole story was so traumatic. But I really do believe that it is important to find your voice, to push through the challenges, um, get get the support you need, get counselling, really take charge to, to say, I can overcome this. Mm. And then it's exciting because then you can actually then start to help other people who are maybe need to hear your specific story. Yeah, and you speak about kind of pushing past so much trauma and, 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 and it was that so much had happened to you in your early life you know things that people will never experience it's almost like you've got it all packed into just a, a couple of years um was that something that you think your your adopted parents were kind of prepared for or, or thought would be something they'd have to take into consideration well that I thank you for raising that really important point because i think with any trauma mm. with any type of adoption um there's you never quite know how life's going to actually deal you know would deal your cards you yeah. know and I think um, I, I think with all the will in the world I think they just felt a heart connection and, and that is a real connection um, with with me but they didn't have the support that there is now yeah. and to be honest there is still a, there's still a challenging amount of support because obviously the adoption system is now finally starting to be talked about and, and is being updated and is and and and, and is, is being really re reimagined and re um um redesigned yeah. which um which is really exciting and, and if you are interested in finding out what's happening with the government at the moment go to the adopt adopt uk adoption uk i've got i've just published their adoption barometer mm. which is a fabulous um and you can just re basically download it all 31 pages and read it for yourself and i really think it's important to read what actually is happening today in the uk and that includes um, um ireland what's happening in the uk what the process is like whether you know the social workers what people are saying about the system so you go into it knowing that love is enough but you also need to have wisdom and knowledge and a support system behind you. And my parents did the best with they could, yeah, the, you know, I, obviously it was the best possible start. But without that counselling and that under, a bit more understanding, there are lots of issues. But to be honest, there will always be issues because adoption is traumatic. So I think nobody should go into any sort of adoption thinking, you know, it's going to be the chocolate box finish mm. that they would like because there are difficult challenges and also you don't know how you will react to those challenges as an adoptive parent. That was Joy there and I think completely right. That's something that has been echoed a few times on tonight's show that there always will be trauma when it comes along with adoption. Westside. And I think an important thing there is to not shy away from it and to not be scared because we hear that word trauma. It feels very big. It feels very overwhelming. And if, I guess if we've not experienced that ourselves, we can be like, whoa, I don't want any part of that, especially when you're thinking about, I just, you know, I want a child and I want to build my family and grow my family with my partner or even alone. And to, for that to come with that next challenge, maybe that is what, what makes a lot of people kind of look away but I think what Joy said there was really important of just 
being being prepared is better than just assuming everything's going to be fine. And the report she was talking about was the adoption barometer there. And it's in its fourth year. This is on adoptionuk.org. And this is a like an assessment of the lives of adoptive families across the UK. So it goes through preparation, early years, policies, practices and everything else. And I think they have like a summary version as well if you don't want to read the whole thing. But I think if it's something that you're interested in, then definitely go and have a look at that latest report there. It's from June 2022. So it's very up to date. It is very current. Bring it back. If you don't get dramatic with that line, come on, girl. <laughs> then you're not doing it right like that is you need to bring the drama to that song to a bit of Destiny's Child you're listening to Bringing It Black of course with me Mary Manfield I love keeping you company on a Tuesday night here on Westside I hope you are good you know you can get in touch with the show drop me a tweet at this is Westside and just a little reminder if you want to catch up on previous episodes then the juiciest shows are uploaded to Spotify and wherever you get your podcast really all you need to do is search Bringing It Black and you can listen anytime okay we don't have the music but we have all the talk now before we get into part three of our chat with um joy i want to actually part two sorry second part of our chat with joy she is the actor comedian and she was adopted from a young age her parents found her or sorry she was found in a bush um during the war in nigeria and insane story and I think from one quite unbelievable story to the next I want to tell you about a video that I stumbled upon and it really got me in my feels some of the comments are like I am crying this is so beautiful legit made me cry I'm crying at midnight no big deal I'm so glad they never stopped trying to find you I'm over here crying like a baby honestly I completely get it. Now, the story I'm talking about, the video I'm talking about, came from a young woman called Jordan. And I'm going to let her tell her story herself. Uh, it all started last year, and you will hear it for yourself here. On October 19th, 2021, I'm sitting on the couch with my sister. She's not really my sister but she's my best friend and we call each other sisters. But we're sitting on the couch with her and my other friend and we're watching a movie and I get a DM from a man. Never seen, heard anything of this man before. So the DM reads, I don't know what to say, but I knew this day would come as I sit here and try to look for the words to say to you, I'll wait, but I need you to confirm one thing for me. Is this you? So he proceeds to send me four baby pictures of me. And I respond, who is this? Because I have no clue who this man is. Like, what are you talking about? And why do you have baby pictures of me is my main question. So um, I screenshotted his profile picture on Instagram and I sent it to my mom. And I'm just like, do you know this man? Like, is this a family member? Because I'm thinking it's somebody trying to wish me maybe a happy belated birthday, you know, who found my Instagram. I don't know anything. So she says no. And then she asks my father. He's saying no. And he's like, just block him. So I'm like, just block him? How can I block a man who has 
bored baby pictures of me and knows my name. Because it, it was not in my Instagram at the time, my name. So he then responds, can you please answer this question, please? I know this is weird. I know, but I just got hit with this on myself. My phone been going off. Jordan, that got to be you, and I'm sorry. So I'm like, sorry for what? What are you talking about? Because I still don't know what this is. So he then goes, how do I say this to you through text? And I go, bro, for real, who is this? And what are you saying? Just say it. He then goes, I'm not your bro, ma. I'm your biological father. So I'm like, all right, all right, all right. The jig is up. Like, who's playing the prank on me? Like, so I call my parents and I'm like, are you guys playing the prank on me? Because this is not funny. Like, I'm not laughing. And um, I'm like, he just said that he's my biological father. So <clears throat> what's going on? So as soon as I said that, my mom hands the phone to my father. And my father is telling me to block him. And... I'm getting upset because I'm like, why are you people, why are you people, why are you guys just telling me to block um, this man who has this information about me? So at that point, I just hung up on them and I was just like, I'm just going to continue by myself. So I go, who is this for real? He goes, ma, I swear. I said, who are you? He said, I don't know how to answer that. Are you asking me my name and where I'm from and why would I say this? And I go, oh, he says again, I know you can feel that I'm telling the truth and I'll leave it here. You can call me if you want. The whole family been waiting for this day. So I go, bro, is this a prank? I'm getting pissed off. You don't have any proof of anything. You still didn't show me anything. You still didn't tell me your name. Like, how do you even have pictures of me? Who is this? And he was saying, I'm so happy. I can't even text. And I said, answer my question or I'm blocking you. So he tells me his name. And he tells me my biological mother's name. And he says he has proof. So he sends me screenshots of a conversation between uh, my biological mother and <clears throat> I'm just so shook because there's baby pictures of me in that screenshot. They're talking about me. They know my parents' names, maiden names, all of that. And I'm just so confused. So he then sends me my social security number and which it used to be. And I'm just like in shock. So shook. Um... So we started texting a little bit after that, not too much, but um, a few days later, uh, my biological mother messaged me on Facebook and she sent me a long message explaining many different points, many different things, just very nice. And as soon as we started talking, we clicked. Like, as soon as I read her message, I wanted to FaceTime her, like, automatically. So, after I found out this information that I was adopted, um, oh, I didn't even say this part. My, um, so my father had called me a few minutes after I hung up on the phone with my parents, and with them and he called me and he's like we got to tell you something we were gonna tell you but we didn't know how and he's just like jordan you're adopted and i just start crying you know i'm 
really hurt because I'm 21 years old. Just turned 21 years old. Why has nobody told me this? Like, I literally don't understand. And I'm so confused, so I'm just crying. My sister and my friend are comforting me, you know. And that night was really rough because although I'm not... I really didn't know what emotion to have. Like, I was sad. I was irritated. I was happy. I was... I don't even know how to explain how I felt, but it was just a lot of emotion, a lot of overwhelming emotion, you know? Um, so that's just a little, a little part about how I found out. I would say overwhelming is an understatement there. Absolutely incredible. I, I find it so hard to wrap my head around. Jordan, it was two days after her 21st birthday when she got a message from her biological father, which she then pieced all of those little pieces together herself and, you know, finally heard from her parents who raised her that, in fact, she was adopted and she hadn't known about it. I've got more to share from her very, very soon and we don't have too much um, longer of the show and so much to fit in. So let me shut up and let let Joy continue. Um, Joy was the lovely woman who was adopted after her parents who were out um, in Nigeria kind of assisting with the war uh, in the aid efforts with the war that was going on and were handed a baby. They weren't intending to adopt. That wasn't part of the plan, but they were handed a baby and they just took it from there. I've been speaking to a really interesting woman in Florida actually called Mia and she speaks quite openly and, and really like eloquently about um, adoption trauma and how, yeah, like a lot of parents, I guess, go into it quite naively and with just, like you said, they're looking for that kind of perfect happy ending. Um, but there's not really much talk about the practical, like tangible things, like you said, like government kind of policies as well as training. So can you tell us a little bit about like what that can look like, like training for parents ahead of adoption or, or during that kind of process? Yeah, I, I really do believe that it's, 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 it's a little bit, you've got to become your own Sherlock Holmes, if you like, you know, I love yeah. Sherlock Holmes. We all have a good drama. You've got to, you've got to read and think and talk to people and be very proactive about that. Um, because the more information you can learn or at least learn the process of, of, of talking about it can help you find what you need. I started Adoption Arena in 2014 really as a blog site mm. because I just felt that adoption voices you know children will grow up to become adults <laughs> we all know that yeah. um, so any problems that are still existing won't just sort of go away mm. um, they, they, they will come out trauma can come out um, through any it could be a change of a job or it could be a change of a school um, anything that any change could suddenly bring that trauma yeah. um, which lives we know trauma lives in the body until it's dealt with it will live there until it's dealt with so I really do believe that you know, going to adopt, um, um, you can adopt. I did a campaign for them as well a couple of years ago. Rather, well, it, was, it was launched actually during COVID, mm-hmm. um, and they're launching a new campaign as well right now about how to start the adoption process. It's a great website to go to, and to also just you know, depending where you are in the country as well, you've really got to get in there and join organisations. You know, 
we've said on our website with adoption um with, with with adoption arena i believe in the creative voice is a really powerful way to talk about your story as you know i'm a comedian myself yeah and it's a great and i think finding finding your voice or the child's voice or you know the writing creative writing um the arts is a great way to get your voice out lem sissy is another really great name he's a poet hmm. and a broadcaster and i love his work because he catches the essence of how it feels to be also transracially adopted but also just 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 that voice of loss yeah. but also but also the joy of finding your voice mm. it's a wonderful story of, of, of his great loss with any adoptee but also of great finding who you are but that is also full of challenges so i really would encourage your listeners if you're thinking of adoption of adopting a child mm. to really do your homework give yourself time if, even if you think you want to definitely do it don't be afraid to maybe say right we're gonna we're gonna spend a year just reading reading going to art mm. exhibitions you know come, come to my show you know come and you know yeah. really spend your time talking to other families what are they saying but don't be put off by the negative mm. because negatives will always be there but you've just got to overcome them that's all and just going in prepared i think that's totally right like immersing yourself in it in the same way that you know if you're gonna go into a new career or you're gonna move countries or something people fully immerse themselves right you are you're 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 listening to podcasts you're reading books about it you're finding out everything you can to make a really like informed decision and it's not that it puts you off but you want to just know what you're doing and I think that's something I've definitely discovered whilst putting this episode together is like you can't just go into it blindly and kind of hoping for the best because it's not good for you as a family but also the like the child and I think your story is um I guess an example of how that trauma doesn't doesn't go you know you can't just push it aside but it comes out in different ways and I know you've you've struggled with racism where you were in in Lincolnshire um self-harm suicidal thoughts anorexia a lot for yourself to process but um I guess your family as well and even um I was hearing about you not not speaking (laughs) and like everything you're about now is finding your voice but you you didn't actually use your voice until you were five no, and, and and I think, and also I say to to, to, to people in the system as well, mm-hmm. it's okay not to have to deal with everything today. Yeah, <laughs> and you don't have to be a perfectionist. You know, there is no perfect family. Mm. I I've got friends who, who who weren't adopted, and they, you know, their parents split up. They had problems with their siblings. You know, it, it's okay to say, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, one of the better phrase, you know, Prince William said, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. But what I would tag on to that is. It's not okay to not do anything about it. Mm. Could also there tends to also be the propensity to, to think, oh, it's always going to be like this. It's, I'm always going to have a troubled life and just sit down and have a cup of tea and invite some friends around. Yeah. Do not do that. You know, you don't yeah. want to. This is your life. Mm-hmm. You know. So I love to read about um, about people who've gone on to great things. You know, mm. and, and who are doing incredible work. You think, oh my gosh, they overcame that. Yeah. Um, yes, I could maybe draw on some of the things that help them overcome their challenges, and that you no. Know, but it is very much you've got to live your own life, and you will make mistakes because that's life, isn't it? You will, you won't get everything right. Yeah, it's a complete learning learning experience as you go along. Do you think things would have been quite different for you if if you were growing up? as an adoptee now where we've got things like TikTok and social media to really find that community and find other people who maybe are going through a lot of what you were going through because 
I can't, you know, imagine kind of growing up in a white family, being black yourself. That must have been quite a unique experience for where you were. Do you think that would have been quite different? Well, you know, that's actually a really great question because I've often thought, oh, I wish I was alive today. And yes, there's a lot more well-being mm. information. I mean, that's why I started my, my you know, as an adoption arena. I really want to look outside the box at, um, and look at holistic ways to heal. Yeah. And, it's been, and that's been something I've been doing recently, well, ever since lockdown. And that's amazing. So, yes, being alive now could have helped. Mm. Um, but... But there's also a lot of challenges now. I mean, there's you know, there's a lot more predators out there. I mean, putting on my, you know, I, I used to tell everybody everything. Would I want to tell everybody my every single thought on TikTok? No. Oversharing. I'm, no. I'm a victim of it. It's so easy to do. Oversharing, overgiving, people you don't even know befriending you. Your life is so personal. Do you want every single nook and cranny of how you feel mm. told to people who don't love you, don't care about you, jealousy of friends? You know, every single generation has its goods and its bads. Yeah. So I think there has to be a point where you just draw the line and say, I'm alive today. Yeah. Today, I can change my life. I can make better choices. And live in the now. Mm. I'm very much a now is now type of person. Because unless you spend your whole life looking back with the should have, could have, maybe, and sometimes that's okay. Yeah. But it always usually leads to quite being quite depressed. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can't help it because it's almost nice to look back and think, oh, I love this and that was great. But I also think to move on mm. and to take more territories and to find out who you actually are means you have to just put the big boy pants on and claim it and go right let's focus on if you want to find your birth family or let's focus on overcoming this so I can do that. You know, you can't, and you can't do it all at once. Yeah. It's a lifetime of, sometimes you want to do it, sometimes you want to move house or you want to go on a holiday. You know, you, know, you, don't, you can only do so much well-being before you just lose the will to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got to kind of like pace yourself as well. And that's okay, you know, that's okay. And so I've learned to just accept the bits of me that I've still got working on, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Some bits of me will still make me cry. There's some things I'm still quite obsessed about. But other things I've worked on and I'm actually really free from now. Mm. And that's okay. And I'm, you know, that's okay. Yeah. It's like when people say, oh, God, I wish I was 16 again. I'm like, but when you were 16, you were, you were really going through it. Like, but you kind of look back with rose-tinted glasses sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's sometimes, it's, it's good to read around. That's my thing. I mean... I personally believe about um, prospective um, um, adoptive parents mm. is they become specialists. They've got the PhD, they've read all the books, they've seen the films, they are now going to walk their child through all the problems. Well, you know as well as I do, there's only so much you can advise you can take from your parents. Yeah. <laughs> we love our mum and dad, but there's a point you have to just find out for yourself. Sad. That's very, very true. And your story is not theirs. And I sometimes I meet adoptive parents with all the will in the world going, you need to read this, you need to do that. And their, parents, their children are just like, I can't take it, I just want to be 10. Okay, and it's to not kind of look at it all through a microscope. Yeah, you can't. You, you want to be playing in the sandpit. Yes, there could be a racial issue in the sandpit, but you can't go through. You can't analyse every single thing. Yeah. There's the point you just have to say, "I'm 16. Mm. Okay, I'm 24. I'm going to go travelling." The point you have to just get on with your life, you know, because that's what you have to do. Otherwise, you're going to spend your whole life in therapy. 
Yeah. I drive myself nuts to drive everybody. And that's the thing that my mum and dad, it was okay, they could have learned, it would have been nice for them to have more information. But mm. at the end of the day, I was just joy. Yeah. And I was part of their family. The end. And I quite like that side of it. Yeah. But I'm just saying there was a point I was just joy. I wasn't joy they adopted one with all these problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. Were you named joy by your parents? Yes. Yes, I was. Oh, yes. I love that. That's really nice. Westside. A really good point there from Joy Carter. Sometimes just let kids be kids and don't overanalyze every situation because you won't find the answer. You just need to learn and experience it just like any other form of parenting. It's like you can read all the books in the world, but you know until that child is at home with you, you will not truly learn. Now, back to Mia in the US. Um, lovely Mia on TikTok. I say on TikTok, you know, she's in lots of places. She really gets her message out loud and clear. But the place we found her uh, was on TikTok. And I asked her when it comes to being um, a black woman who's really being quite vocal uh, and putting your face to a lot of this, do other black women kind of reach out for advice when it comes to adoption? I've only had a few black women ever ask me questions related to blackness. And I honestly never know how to respond. I never really fit in anywhere because I was raised in primarily white spaces. My adoptive parents are white um, and I never really knew how to act around other black people, like the few black people I was around. Um, white people mostly were calling me like an Oreo, you know, black on the outside, white on the inside. Um, and it, it's honestly been kind of a struggle because like I'm black, but I'm not African-American. I'm Haitian. So I've also been told that like I can't participate in African-American culture. Um, so it's really just kind of put me in like this limbo where I, I don't fit in the black community because I'm not African-American, but I don't fit in the white community because I'm not white. Um, it's just been really hard to find like where I fit. You know exactly where it is and who you're listening to. The show is called Bringing It Black. The station is Westside. And I am Mary Manderfield. I got you for another 20 minutes. The rest of tonight's show, we're talking all things adoption. If you've just tuned in, don't worry, there's still plenty more to come. But also you can catch up whenever you want on my, well, my socials at Mary Manderfield or wherever you get your podcast from. So just search Bringing It Black and I upload the show just a few days later. Give me some time. It will be up there and you get to hear back on any of the conversations or interviews that you might have missed. We've been talking all about adoption and especially in the black community we've heard from Didi and Priscilla they're uh, LGBT um, well they're two women a couple in the UK who have an adopted daughter Ava speaking about their experiences and how adoption was actually a, the first choice for them as well as Mia from the US who was adopted when she was three plus Jordan's really unique and what I would go on to say is Netflix worthy story about how she found out she was adopted when she was 21 right it was two days after her 21st birthday she got a message from an unknown number someone who was claiming to be her biological father turned out 
it wasn't a prank. It wasn't a joke. That's exactly what it was. And to find out as an adult that you're adopted, I think must be extremely overwhelming. But it's been so lovely speaking with her, finding out her story. Now, I heard a little bit about what it was like her meeting her biological family for the first time. She said her and her dad were literal twins um, and that her and her mum just clicked instantly. They had formed this beautiful friendship. They had so much in common. And I wanted to know, how has she felt since finding out the news? How have things actually been with her parents that have raised her? Um, You know, has that dynamic completely changed after such a huge kind of big life experience? I don't know how I felt since finding this out in 2021. So a lot of people tell me that I don't handle this situation how a lot of people would. A lot of people tell me they would have been mad. They would have cut their parents off. They wouldn't have wanted to speak to them anymore. They would feel betrayed. I'm not going to lie. The first day I was thinking my life was a lie. Like that was one of the first things I said to my parents, like, but you know what? I was never mad at them. Um, I was more so upset because there's a lot of things that I don't know about myself or didn't know about myself that is something that I would like to know, you know? Um, like, it could have been from to my background, to health issues, to the way that I like my mental, like just things like that, that are important for people to know. Um, and I was very upset about that. Um, and also the fact that I have brothers and sisters, like I've always wanted to have brothers and sisters and the fact that I do. And it's just like, I just wish that they would have told me a long time ago. You know, they told me they, they said, we told you when you were four, but I guess somewhere along the way you forgot. But in my eyes, I'm just like, how would you expect me to remember when I was four, you know? So I think that was a bit of an excuse. Um, but the relationship between me, I mean, okay, everybody on the outside calls them my adoptive parents. I really do I, I can never do that because that just sounds really weird to me. And I respect a lot of people for for differentiating the two versus bio versus adoptive. But I don't call them my adoptive parents because they're my parents. I That's all I've ever known since the day I came home from the hospital, which I believe was two days after my birthday, Um So, yeah, it's not like I was adopted when I was, like, 5 or 10. No, I was literally adopted since I was born. Um, But, yeah, I don't call them my adoptive parents. I will never call them my adoptive parents. They will always be my parents. Uh, The reason why I didn't put them in the video that um, went viral on TikTok is because they're more reserved, and I didn't want to just put them out there, you know, because they're not as sociable as a lot of other people so i just kept that part private you know when people were saying adoptive parent reveal and no i didn't want to do that but my relationship with them still stays the same like um 
nothing has changed. I don't love them any less. I don't think of them any less. I don't not call them my mother and father anymore. Like, no, they're still my mother and father. I'm still their daughter. Um, and I love them to the moon and back. Like, we may, we may be very different in, because we are, um, we are very different, but it doesn't change the love that's there. No, nothing changes. Really interesting point there. People saying, "Okay, what about your adoptive parents?" It's like, well, I've lived twenty-one years of my life, you know, calling these people my parents. They've raised me. I'm not now going to change uh, all of that and how I view them. So, yeah, Jordan's story. I honestly, she's um, tagged me on Instagram. I posted on my story, so if you want to go and check her out, but I'll also post her TikTok as well. It's going viral. I think she says it's on about seven hundred thousand views at the moment, and it keeps going up and up. So it wasn't just me who. Was moved by it honestly everyone else is is crying real tears that as well now on to our last little bit of our chat with um joy joy carter and we're talking about you know how as an adoptee uh how she can kind of give advice to other people and how, how she can kind of help people along um on their journeys from whatever perspective they're coming from do you ever get like prospective parents coming to you who are white or non-black and they're kind of specifically looking to adopt a black child yes i do how do you Um, how do you kind of go about all of that well we've all got sometimes there's a reason behind that like maybe they they traveled in africa and they just fell in love with the country Mm. and yeah often people have reasons why you want to adopt a child from that from that culture or from that race and that is personal to you and that's part of your your you know your heart desire so I'm just like absolutely fine if you're doing it for the right reasons yeah um but 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 the other side of that and this is when the transracial adoption voice comes in Mm. you really have to think about that child is going to now be dual heritage and what that could look like and are you willing to potentially go through racism which for a lot of white people they have never thought of what that could look like brand new experience it's divisive yeah you know people that you always thought were fine in your family and not being racist suddenly are racist Mm, yeah not everybody smiling is going to be happy for that child and i've and i've seen so so if you're going to adopt transracially you have to really think about the connotations and even if everybody in your family is fine you will always meet at some point somebody who does not like what you've done mm-hmm. and that's the difference if you've never faced what having to fight for your identity that's very very difficult let alone with child and um and that's when the cracks can start so that's why i always say get yourself into a really positive strong community yeah. who can support you and I found my, my I, I found when I started talking about my adoption story I joined, joined TAG Transracial um, Adoption Group mm. um, from my website um, Adoption Arena and I joined that, that group and it was great to just be with other other people who've been where I've been like one lady she was she was from Haiti but mm. she was Canadian and everybody was not what you thought they should be yeah and just hearing how they coped with it was so cathartic and I got loads of help and loads of very wise support because again your parents can only do so much yeah 
we love them, but they've never been in your shoes. So that's what I would say to anybody. Get with the right people who can help you positively move on, not negatively form a big... Like grey cloud around it. Angry, riotous throng. Of, and, then, and there's loads of people who are anti-adoption. Mm. I've had it said to me, you should never have been adopted. So I'm like, what? Yeah, there's a very angry group, of, and I know where they're angry. I was angry for years about my adoption, but they hate all adoptions, and they think that you should never, any child should never be adopted. Now I know. I didn't. E- I'm from. sorry if that's naive. I didn't even know that was a that was a thing. Yeah, so that is that's a shocker because they are very. And I know when it's like when horrendous things, which we can't talk about really on there, yes. have happened to them beyond imagination. People wow. um, have been child trafficked. I mean, horrendous things they've oh suffered, God. and they are now. Those are very hurting people, and they get, and and, I, and they go on often online being very vitriolic mm. about their. Um, hatred of all adoptions mm. so that is very challenging as well because they've obviously got a very long journey to get healed from that yeah. but and they're now abusing you and hating you as being an adopted person you're just in the firing line for absolutely no reason that is that okay i yeah i feel like i maybe i'm naive for not even thinking about that but you know when you see so much talk now especially i know it's a bit of a crossover but um, talking about abortion in the US and you have all these anti-abortion people who are saying we'll adopt your baby you know and they see it as this kind of well that's just the answer there's no kind of nuance there's no real thought process there they're just like we'll we'll take your baby and I just didn't even imagine that there's people out there who don't think it should happen well this is the thing I mean I think the world is waking up since 2020. I mean, mm-hmm. that's been the good thing about COVID, and then absolutely horrendous, yeah. is it's made everybody start to wake up. Yeah. Not that the climate change, the, the, the fact that the, the, the reality is life is not working for everybody. Mm-hmm. Your money will not save you. Yeah. And being on your own is actually horrendous. Like a lot of adopted children are on their own. Yeah. I'll feel very, very lonely because no one they can relate to. So I think the way that we now do life is and we're realising that it's not just an isolated problem. We have to work together. Mm. No one person has got the solution. We are a community, yeah. whether we want to see it or not. And um, so that's exciting for me. But it also means that we're going to have to have stop having those difficult conversations, conversations which yeah. is what is happening now, Not and in governments as well. And that's why I, I would say to people, if you have got a story, and that's why I really think adoption is so important, to help people get their stories out and and how to get their stories out because everyone's got a piece of the, of the puzzle that's going to help someone mm. or even just blogging even people just who start blogging about their story you know they're, if they're going to adopt somebody you know we need to keep the conversation out there which is why it's so great to be talking to you today because no one's got the solution but but we can all share knowledge and information that could help someone completely and you've shared so much already and I definitely will be plugging where people can find you um, and and more of your work as well and I think it's amazing you know use comedy um, to kind of address this and just using your voice as well is so 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 important Um, so thank you Joy I'm so glad I found you (laughs) on the internet um, and heard a little bit of your story and I know there's there's so much more to it so yeah thanks for being on Bringing It Black Oh, you know, can I, can I just leave with one little thing which I love to which I love to end on? Yeah. Um, this, this is just this is just a fun part of my show. Um, 
what I did was I wrote down all the horrendous things anyone's ever said to me, all the bad things that ever happened through my adoption, and I wanted to change it into humour. Mm-hmm. And that's a big process. You can do it with anything. But it's, it's cathartic, and there's many tears just writing it all down. But anyway, one of the things somebody said to me about a friend five years ago, yeah. um, so-called friend, you know, there's friends that should be really enemies, but you call them a friend. Fake, <laughs> fake friends. You know, those, yeah, you know, yeah. those fire, those um, friendly fire friends, you know. Yeah. Who will fire in anything. Anyway, and this friend said to me, Joy, I wish I was adopted. I hate my parents. What? This is in my show. And I remember thinking, and she, and she talked on, and I thought, stay calm. And people say outlandish things to me. I never, I've learned never to react. I just listen mm. to what they've got to say, because it could be comedy material. It's comedy. Yeah, great content. Very content. So I, I bit my lip, and she was half an hour, how much your parents don't do this, and my parents do that, and it's not fair. I've got these great parents. So I said to her, well, if you hate your parents that much, you need to get rid of them. Just go home and shoot them. And then put yourself up for adoption. There you go. You can make it happen. Make it happen. But then there will be problems because I said, unfortunately, you are 34. <laughs> now, the, now, the problem is with adoption is you're old past the age of four and you will struggle to get adopted. No one wants you. Sorry. But, so so you're struggling at 34 and now you've now committed double homicide. So prison. And I happen to know that you are also lactose intolerant. It's gonna, it gets more challenging. <laughs> You're gonna have a real tough time in there. So why don't we? But just... You're gonna have a tough time. So be grateful for the family that you have. <laughs> is the bottom line. Be happy. Be grateful. Whether they're adopted, your adopted family or not, they are parents. Yeah. And get the help you need and learn to love people. Oh, That's completely. What <laughs> I mean, I hope that uh, that kind of stunned your friend into silence um and it's comedy gold because i love saying it on stage because people will say ridiculous things to you not thinking about maybe what they're saying mm. i get it all the time even today people say, say say stuff to me but again i just use it as comedy gold but if you if you can't do that you've got to start to spin it and yeah. that's how you just learn to just give people space they're only looking at one aspect of your life um, and that's and that to me also encourages me that you can get through those problems mm. and almost to the point where people even can't believe that you've even suffered all that stuff. But but of course you know what you've gone through. But there is hope to get through it yeah. through unity, talking about it, and giving yourself space to to just work it out, work it out how it looks for you. There is no formula. You've just got to work it out with good people around you. And give yourself time and space and lots of grace because you will you will get through it. Joy Carter, I mean, that final story absolutely cracked me up. You can find her online, just search her name. I've posted her on my Instagram as well. And Adoption Arena is the site and the company that she founded where she blogs and there's loads of information there um, around adoption from all different perspectives as well. Honestly, it was cracking up. Even after I'd finished chatting to her, I was like, she made me laugh, so I appreciate that. Now, my last little clip of the night is from Jordan again lovely Jordan and I was asking her basically such an interesting and unique story she was she found out she was adopted two days after her 21st birthday uh, and then found out she had brothers and sisters and her parents and uh, her biological parents and she went to go and visit and she's seen them a few times since then and I thought you know, we have a lot of Selling Sunset on TV. We have a lot of Love Island. We have a lot of shows that 
could be pushed aside. Would she ever consider, you know, telling her story on a bigger platform um, to more people? I think I would write a book because I would want people who share similar stories to me and people who are even just adopted. Like, for me to share my story has been helping a lot of people, and I've been getting a lot of messages sorry, a lot of messages like that saying that I've helped people and I'm helping people. And that makes me really happy because I never would have expected any of this to happen. So I would really want to connect with people um, and share what I've, what I, what I'm still going through. It's only been not even a full year yet since I've found out. So I would want to share that and that light and connect with everyone who goes through what I'm going through and have gone through, you know. Um, And I do have a lot of things to say, and I feel like I would write a pretty good book if I do say so myself. Um, As for, like, Netflix or a movie, I'm just waiting for the call. (laughs) Because I would really love to make a series or a movie or a netflix thing about this like i feel like that would be so interesting so much fun like and i'm a communications major i didn't mention that but i'm in college i'm a communications major and i love to talk like interviewing is my thing radio tv that's my thing so i would love 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 to do that so you know i'm just waiting on oprah to reach out (laughs) just kidding but yeah i would love that like i feel like that would be a fun experience for me and for everyone who's been on this journey with me so far i feel like that would be such a beautiful thing to do and i feel like it can connect with a lot of people like i don't know if um anyone has watched like adoption shows on Netflix or Hulu or anything like that. But those stories are so touching and it really does help a lot of people. Um, so I would love to do that. There you go. Oprah, if you're listening, we have a call out. Let's make it happen. Guys, I'm wrapping it up. Tonight's show was a special one all about adoption here on Bring It Black. If you want to listen back in a couple of days, it will be uploaded wherever you catch your podcast. Just search Bringing It Black. And I want to say a huge, huge thank you for everyone's voices who featured on tonight's show. Mia, Jordan, Dee Dee and Priscilla and Joy as well. What a joy it was. <laughs> for real, for real, for real. Um, so thanks, guys. Keep it Westside, of course. Next up is the World Hip Hop Show. And I will catch you next week. Same time, same place.